0: great to see you guys. Um, really great to see you guys. Um, believe it or not, we are in our last week of our generous series and everybody says, Oh, amen. <laughs> I knew somebody I actually paid David to say that this one, uh, to, to relieve the tension. Just kidding. Um, We are in our last week of our Generous Series. If you got your Bibles this morning, I want you to open them up to the book of 2 Corinthians. This morning, I just want to briefly, and I do mean briefly, recap where we have been together. And I just want to give one final pastoral encouragement to you. That we might, together as a church... Move into this place that God is calling us to be, where our hearts are in love with the generosity of God's grace in Jesus Christ. And our lives, and more importantly, our pocketbooks, reflect that generosity from this point forth. I just wanna offer one more encouragement, one more push, one more challenge, but more importantly, I just want to just inspire us this morning by God's vision in his word and in our church and in our lives and in the future that together we can make an impact if we are serious about moving into the way that God has called us to move. We have been saying from, from day one in this series that all of this, is related to our relationship with God. We don't just have a series to talk about money just because we care about money. We have a series to talk about money because we care about our relationship with God. And the reality is money is related to your relationship with God. And where all of this starts, I just wanna call us back to this. And I think this passage here in 2 Corinthians is so uh, beautiful because it does call us back to what this is all about where all of this starts for us. Why does God care about our generosity? Well, it's because he knows that we should love first his generosity. We should know that our God is the most amazing, wonderful, faithfully, sacrificially generous God. He is absolutely amazing in all of his character, wonderful in all of his ways, And one of the ways he wants you to know him. He wants you to love him. He wants you to worship him and say thank you often to him is for his character, constant faithful character of generosity. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to start there, read one verse, and we're going to read a section then from chapter 9. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, we see this. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich for your sake, he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. I want to read this again, maybe twice more. And I want you to hear it. And I want you to feel it moving from just your head down to your emotion and into the spirit of your heart. For you know the grace of of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich yet for your sake became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich Yet for your sake, he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, God. The, the heartbeat of our lives, the hope of your life, the confidence of your life, the very foundation that you build your life upon. Is not anything about you and what you have ever done or what you do today or what you can ever do. It is not about that at all, friends. The song of my life and the song of your life, the things that the thing that wakes me up each morning and gives me hope and a smile to keep going in each day. The thing that makes me live without fear for tomorrow is this that God though he didn't have to. God being all rich, all wonderful, all sufficient in and of himself. He didn't have to. But that God, though he's being rich, saw us, saw me in my poverty. Saw me in my sin and in my shame and in my need and in my brokenness and in my desperation and in my despair. Saw me, the poor one, the beggar, and chose to abandon his riches in heaven, Philippians 2 says. He didn't account it, something to be grasped, held onto, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant. He being rich gave all of it away, even to his last breath on the cross gave himself completely away so that you and me being poor and desperate and beggars before him could have the fullness of his riches, of his love and grace and kindness and faithfulness and goodness, all because he chose to give out of his heart. Amen. We are recipients Of the riches of God. And it's not anything that we can boast in. Because we didn't deserve it. But God has a generous heart. He has a loving heart. That moves him to sacrificial generosity. Joy filled generosity. Faith filled generosity. We see that as we look. At our Lord Jesus Christ. For you know. The grace of the Lord Jesus. That though he was rich. He became poor. Why? For your sake, so that you, by his generous poverty, might become rich, might have everything that you need in him, not only in relationship with God for eternity, but today as you walk by faith. Amen? I pray, friends, for my pastoral heart to you, I pray, I'm talking to you as an individual. That this animates your life. That this is the song that you sing. That this is the hope of your future. That this is how you live. Thankful. Thankful. Amazed. Wondrously. In all of the generosity of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is where it starts. Is knowing that everything you have. Everything you have. Your salvation, your redemption, your intellect, your skills, your money and your bank account, the car that you drive, the house that you live in, the safety that you feel, whatever, anything that you have that you would consider good in your life is a blood-bought gift of our Lord Jesus Christ, who though he was rich became poor that you might have anything good because we don't deserve anything but what our sin warrants. It is his grace, his generous heart of love and grace that gives me satisfaction and gives me hope. That's where it starts. Now, Paul goes on. Flip your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 in the next chapter. Because it starts in knowing the... And I pray this morning, listen. Oh, if you're here this morning and you do not know, if you don't have a relationship with God, you don't know this God. You don't know if if, if what God thinks about you. Don't move on beyond... Chapter 8, verse 9, that was for you, and you just stay there. Until you have surrendered your life and put your confidence and faith, surrendered everything to our generous God who gave everything for you in Jesus. That's the starting point, friends. And if nothing else, leave today encouraged, knowing that God has done everything on your behalf needed to give you riches, to give you a relationship with him. But for those of us who are surrendered to him, it doesn't stop there, because there's practical outworkings of this heart This relationship in our life. And that's why he goes on chapter 9. We're going to start in uh, verse 6. So it says this. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided to give in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make his grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food Will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Oh, this is an awesome word. You need to mark this so you can read it every day this week. Got it? You agree? Great. I'm so glad you are willing. Um, this is a great, great, great passage for us because it showcases the heart that we've been talking about all through this series, which is in response to the awesome grace and generosity of God. It is a joyful thing. It is the, res- it's the only right thing to do, <laughs> to be generous with our lives, with all of our lives, and especially with our money. In response to the overwhelming grace and generosity of God, That we just looked at in chapter eight, verse nine. Being enamored, being amazed, finding our all in all in the fact that God and his riches gave everything for us so that we in our poverty might become rich. It moves us, folks. Don't miss this. It will move you. The only natural response is to live in joyful generosity toward God and others. That we might showcase his generosity to us. You tracking with this? Paul's talking to the church of Corinth, and he's asking for a collection for uh, the suffering people in Jerusalem, and that's the context of this this passage here. Is he's coming to them and he's he's saying, "Okay, give." All right, guys. There's you know, if I came to you and announced some huge need in our community or in another community, another state or another country, i say, guys, we've got to, we have got to give to this. He's appealing to the gospel of Christ, that's what he mentioned in chapter 8, and urging them to live generously. What he says is, don't you get it? Don't you want your life to reflect the amazing generosity of God? Don't you? See, God has provided for all of your needs and he will keep providing for all of your needs. He supplies to you richly. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way. Verse eight, you will have sufficiency in all things at all times. But there's a reason for that. His grace is abounding to you. You wanna know why you've got money in your bank account and your savings account and your 401k? You wanna know why you have gifts and talents, a house, a car? There is a reason that God's grace abounds to you. Verse 11 points it out. You've been enriched in every way so that you can in every way be what? What's it say there in verse 11? So that you can be generous. He's given you what he's given you that you might be able to take your riches and pour them out as he poured out his riches to you. So that in other people's poverty, in other people's need, in the kingdom of God, God, work of the gospel today you might empty what you have to showcase in a practical way his grace and generosity toward you and it says all of this listen when you begin to when you begin to do this it will abound in thanksgiving to God when people look at you and they go he makes 90 G's a year and that's where he's living that's the car he's driving That's what he's doing with his money? That doesn't really make sense. Oh yeah, it does make sense. It only makes sense though in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And your money then is not used to exalt yourself. It's used to exalt the mercy of God. Amen? This is our life abounding in thanksgiving to God. This is the joy. It says, don't give under compulsion. Give with joy. Give what he has decided, verse 7. Decided in his heart, not reluctantly. Don't come griping to me that you need to tithe. 10%, that's so much. Every week, under compulsion. Don't make me come to you and say, why is there no giving statement for you last year? Why haven't you given anything? Don't, Don't force our hands don't don't make me beg, don't give reluctantly and don't give only because somebody's begging. Give it says why? For God loves a cheerful giver. In other words it says give not for anybody else, give because You have your eyes on God. And in light of his mercy and generosity toward you, you have no other response that you want other than to cheerfully give to show him, thank you, God. Thank you, God. You are all that I need in your riches. You give me everything in my riches. I will happily, happily, sacrificially give. There is no end to the extent of what I should give you because of all that you have given to me. Amen? That's, that's what God wants. And the result of it is abounding thanksgiving toward God. So, the next few moments, I just want to recap where we've been. It'll be on the screen real quick. In the last four weeks, we have been looking at this. First, we looked at our heart. I think it's the next screen. Here we go we have been looking at what comprises generosity. What what does it take to move toward generosity? We started with our heart. And this is where it was in 2 Corinthians 8. Remembering that it starts with our heart being contented in God. Realizing that Jesus says you cannot serve two masters, you cannot serve both God and money. And realizing that money sets itself up as a huge competition in our heart to God. And you need to make sure that your heart stays with God. That all the allegiance, all the fear, all the hope of your heart, all of the faith, all of the yearnings of your heart is going toward God, going toward God, going toward God. For what Jesus said is this, that where your heart is, there your money will be. And where your money is, there your heart is. God's not chasing your money. He's chasing your heart. But what he knows is when your heart is with him, your money will follow. You can look at your pocketbook and tell where your heart is by how you spend your money. So it starts with the heart. It always goes to the heart. It's not just discipline. It starts with dedication in your heart to our generous God. It also involves, secondly, we talk through success. What is success? And we learned that one of the things we've got to do, if we're serious about moving toward generosity, is is redefining success in our life. Realizing that success is not defined by our world; it's not defined by people looking at you and go, "Ooh, he got a great crib. Look at that. Look at that car. Look at those spinners." <laughs> not that any of you have spinners. Look at that. Look at the vacations they take. Look at the purse she has. Look at that. What he's wearing. Look at you know or it's not defined by just a constant upward mobility. It's not defined by the, the better and better and better and better, bigger and, bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, more and more and more and more. No, cut that stuff out. You can just be free of that. How wonderful. Because you know, money is neither good nor bad. It's just neutral. But the love of money is the root of all evil, right? So success is redefined for us by living God's way. Living with our whole life centered in surrender to the will of God, including our money. You need to care about, does God think that you're successful? At the end of your life, will God say, well done. Great job with what I've given you. Wonderful use of it. That is success. And redefining it God's way is key to our generosity. Some of us are still struggling here and we're moving toward God in this. Third is freedom from materialism. We learned that our hearts are so prone to be controlled by greed or by fear and they inhibit our generosity. First Timothy 6 tells us, be careful about loving money, rather be content in God. It says, godliness with contentment, remember we studied that? Godliness with contentment is great gain. Riches pose a spiritual liability on us therefore and and often what happens with riches is when you get them they they pull you away from the sweet simple dependency day to day on god starting to look toward money and not god therefore giving away your riches actually helps you because it reminds you constantly that what you have is not owed to you it's all from god and it also keeps you free from depending on those things rather than god Being generous, as God has called you to be generous, living simply with sweet contentment in God is key to exercising a growing faith in God. You got it? So we talked about being free from materialism and debt. Constant more, more, more. To enjoy the sweet simplicity of God by practicing generosity. Fourth and finally, we looked at stewardship. Stewardship in light of eternity. Stewardship in light of eternity. Realizing that we are ultimately stewards, Jesus says. There's so many parables on this, that we are a manager of God's money. Ultimately, what we have has been given to us by the master who has chosen to give into each as he wills. What you have is God's. And you need to recognize that. And also recognize that the purpose of what you have is to yield a return for the master who is coming again. You will give an account of what you have done with what you have. That's what Jesus plainly teaches. And it would be foolish, as he says in Luke chapter 12, to be the rich man who hoards up more and more and more. And then at the end, he realizes he can't take, up, take any of it with him. Jesus says, you fool. You fool. You fool, this night your soul is required from you. Whose will all your stuff be? And then he says, so it is with those who are rich toward themselves and not rich toward God. See, we get the privilege of carrying God's money and doing with it what God wants to do, making investments for, then the second part, eternity. Keeping the perspective always that our life is short and eternity is long and what we do here, what we sow here, we will reap in eternity. What happens here will carry on through eternity. And we're not living for this world, we're living for the world that is to come. And only what lasts is what happens our relationship with God and our relationship with others. God and souls, they last. How are you stewarding God's money in light of eternity? That leads you to greater generosity. That's where we've been. They're pretty simple things, right? Pretty simple things. But the next step that I wanna point out to you is this. Side. The key is how we're moving. At the end of the day, you have got to recognize that movement in your life is needed. It's not enough just to know all this in your head, you've got to live it out in your life. We talked about the different stages of giving, starting with people who give occasionally, then people who give regularly people who give obediently with a tithe and then people who move toward generosity, which is that state of life where you are looking to find any and every way to give, minimizing what you spend on yourself so you can maximize what you give to the kingdom. And God wants us to be in the place of generosity, but most of us can find ourselves somewhere along this giving pathway. And the reality is, if you're not moving, if you're not moving, moving, if, you're not, if your money is not changing and your giving is not changing and your life is not being reshaped and, and remolded, then all of this is just theory. All of this is just talk. All of this is just, oh, cool, good, good talk this morning on, you know, when you come on Sundays or, or maybe deep thinking. But if this is not radically changing your heart and then radically changing your life and your pocketbook, your budgets, your giving then it's just been in vain. But I believe, I really believe, church, that you are moving. I believe that we are seeing, one by one by one, all of us being moved toward greater generosity. And I want to tell you, Michelle and I aren't done. (laughs) We are not done. We haven't arrived yet. And I hope that we will not arrive until the day that we die. I hope that you will see us continue to move not just talk about it but move in the way that we live our life toward greater generosity. And I pray that's the same for you that the greatest joy of your life would be this pursuit of knowing our generous God more and showing him more especially with how you spend your money. Amen. I want to tell you a few stories of things that we've seen and that's the next section is reflecting on how we've been changing. On the next chart you'll see a couple of I'll just tell you a few few stories. In this in the last five weeks, just to hear what God has been doing. In the last five weeks, we have seen individuals who have come to us and say, I haven't been, I haven't been giving at all. Who've come and said, I feel convicted that God has given me what He's given me so that I can give. And I need to, I need to start giving. People who have begun the wonderful act of joy-filled giving and tithing. We've had uh, couples who have said to us I've got extra land or I've got an extra house and I'm not even using it. <laughs> I feel like I need to sell it and they're moving toward that. We've got couples who have kind of been in a place where they haven't been living on a budget or they haven't been thinking beyond just their tithe. We have uh, couples and families in the church who are really in a place of sacrificing things that they had planned to do for themselves in order to meet needs that have come up or to give more generously through this church, amen? It's awesome. We've had uh, families that have felt convicted that they had not been obedient in the area of their giving. They've been withholding their tithe or withholding giving and have walked into the church and said, we wanna make up our tithe for the last six months. It's awesome. It's changing people's lives. We have uh, students who are finding freedom to say yes to specialties or to track, uh, academic track programs and occupational programs because they've redefined success they come and they said, you know what? I was being lured this way by the things that the world offers and the program offers, but I really, if I'm true to what I feel like God is calling me to do, it doesn't matter what the world gives. It just matters if I'm in the will of God. And so if it's the best-paying occupation or the lowest-paying occupation, it doesn't really matter. I'm going to pursue what God wants for me. Amen? we got students who are saying, you know what? I'm going to get, I don't have much right now. I mean, I'm broke. <laughs> but pretty soon, I'm going to be making six figures. And right now is the time for me to be thinking about whether or not I really need six figures to live on or if maybe it could be something less. And they're saying, now, I want to have this commitment that with the excess that God gives me, I will use it toward generosity and not toward continued self-indulgence. Amen? We got folks who have big, fat bank accounts and investments, and they're going, I've been saving this or I've been investing this for years, and I really don't know why I'm doing that. And they've come to us and they said, I really feel like I might need to divulge some of my big fat accounts. Not that it's saving or investing is wrong, it's not. But these folks felt like it's not motivated by faith, but rather greed or fear or just miserliness, if that's a word. <laughs> and they're saying, I wanna give it because I believe the greatest investment that I can make with it is in the kingdom of God. As a church, what we've seen in these last few weeks is Increased giving. Uh, just this past week, we had over eight thousand dollars given to our church on a single week. Praise God! <laughs> Last year, we were seeing four thousand, maybe five thousand, a good Sunday, and in these past weeks, we've seen increased giving. I just want to say thank you, God, and thank you, church, because I really believe that we're seeing the fruits of movement, movement toward generosity. I believe that we're seeing it. I believe it's happening in your life. If you're sitting here this morning and it's not happening, I want to tell you, okay, after today we're done, so this is your last chance. Not really, you got a whole life, but um, you need to consider how it is that God wants you to move now, what it would look like to move toward obedience with tithing, giving The 10% that God has given you that is already His, just offering that up week after week, or moving toward free will giving or offerings or just joy filled, sacrificial generosity. And you can join. You can join and become one of the stories. Listen, my heart is not to see our church become rich. Okay? We are doing fine financially. We had a $51,000 surplus last year. Praise God. We're doing fine financially. I do want you to give here. But it's not because we need to get rich. I want you to give here because it's what God wants for you. And when you give, there's greater possibility for what we can do together in the kingdom of God. I want you to give because it's right. I want you to give because it will radically change your life. And give you more joy in God. And more joy in the things that God cares about than you've ever had before. Because if you invest with God, your heart's gonna follow. It's just the reality. So, what could be? I just said that. But the reality is, what would it look like if what's going on in your heart moved to what's happening in your life? If what's going on in your faith took action with how you're working that out? If what's going on in your beliefs actually changed your practice? What new work could happen if you chose to move toward generosity? What person here in our community could be helped if you chose not to hold on to it, but to give it? What new missionary could be supported if you chose to become a part of what God is doing? What impact could you have in eternity by choosing to live free-handed, With all that God has given to you. Real things happen. More ministry happens. When you give. And I need you to equate. The action that you take. With your money. To things in this world. And in eternity. That begin to happen. And will continue happening. With the use of that money. For the kingdom of God. What is the potential that you have? I say all the time to folks who are not in this church. We got some of the most capable. There is more potential. Jeff Bronner used to say this too. Laura and I were talking about it the other day. There is more potential in this church than I could ever dream. You are smart. You're you're pretty. You look good. You're smart. You're capable. You have leadership. Influence. You are going to be movers and shakers. And I pray. Listen, I, I have a dream. Okay, <laughs> I have a dream that one day you would use all that God has given to you. And you have been given graciously a lot. But that you would be a mover and a shaker in the kingdom of God. Not in your little world. That you would have a vision to use all the potential that you have. To be poured out, to be realized as potential for more people coming to Jesus, more needs being met, more mission and nations being supported, okay? I want you to be a radical giver so that you can realize the potential in the kingdom of God. I want to reflect for a second on the value, the true value of giving together. We've been talking all this time, and this is in closing, We've been talking all this time about you as an individual. But the Bible in the New Testament, when it speaks of giving, it doesn't talk about you as an individual. It talks about us as a church. Every time we're encouraged to give, it's always in light of giving to the church, giving as a church, giving through the church. In Acts chapter 4, what we see is that the church came together. They brought in what they had, what they had laid up, their tithes and their offerings. Some people brought in land and possessions and jewelry and etc. People brought in what they had week after week and they laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, why do they do that? Did the apostles drive off with the land and the cars and the jewelry and say, Ha ha, great day. No. The apostles were those who are spiritually qualified to lead in the church and to lead in the church for the furtherance of the gospel and the glory of God. So what happened was, week after week, we're encouraging you toward generosity, but be generous through the church. That's the way the New Testament sees it. Even uh, when there were specific needs to be met in Corinthians, it describes that they would meet those needs through the church. So it's not an I, it's a we. It starts with I, but it ends with we. And it's not just about my potential. See, in our, in our culture, everything is about our independence and our autonomy and what we can do. Oh, I want to do what I want to do with my money and nobody's going to tell me what I can do. So we like being able to have the control of giving. But part of God's intention for us in our hearts is to relinquish that control, to live humbly, submissively, to be unified with our brothers and sisters in Christ and submitted to the leadership of our local church, that we might be generous, yes, me and my family generous, but generous together as a body of Christ. You see it? So we talk about we. What can we do together? Now, to help you understand this, anybody ever heard of a mutual fund? Raise your hand if you ever heard of a mutual fund. What is a mutual fund? Mutual fund is something that people invest in. Some people choose to invest in. And basically what happens is on the screen, you've got a group of people who are investors. So I would join this group and I would say, okay, I want to put $1,000 in this mutual fund. So now my money is pulled together with other people's money and it goes into this fund. And people manage mutual funds. People that are a lot smarter than me, I hope... (laughs) Financially And with investments, they manage the mutual fund for the benefit of all of us who are in the investment pool. Does that make sense? So what happens is they pick stocks and bonds. They play the money market. They, they do what they can do to maximize the return for the group of investors. So you submit your money. You invest it into a fund where all of this is happening together. And then it's distributed among a lot of things to maximize the return on that pool of money. You tracking with me? Now, this may be a flawed analogy in some way, so forgive me if it is. But I want you to understand the joy of giving to the church. Because I think a lot of times people, when they think about giving to the church, it feels like a black hole. It feels like we're just giving, and we don't know, we, we know we're supposed to give, but we don't know what we're, why we're giving or what we're giving to. Next slide. Here, I want you to picture the same concept, but as a local church. Instead of a group of investors, we have a group of givers. But essentially, you are a group of investors. You're investing in the kingdom of God. But what happens is, instead of trying to go out on our own and choose, okay, what organizations in Memphis am I supposed to support? What missionaries do I need to give to? What pastors should I support? How? How? You know? And we're anybody ever have this struggle when you go to give? It's like, well, gosh, I got 50 things coming to me in the mail. I don't know what I'm supposed to give to. Or there's so much in the world that we feel paralyzed because it's like, I don't know how to give and what to give to. What happens in the church is this, that we together are givers. We pool our money together. That's why we bring it into the church week after week. We give it together. It comes a common pot. And what happens is it's in essence like a mutual fund. What happens is we resource our money together and we maximize it For the furtherance of the gospel here in our church, in your lives, the ministry of our members, in our community in Memphis and in Tennessee, and around the world. And we maximize the return for the kingdom of God. Instead of you going out and writing a check to Salvation Army or to Memphis Athletic Ministry or to uh, the St. Jude and trying to figure out which missionaries you're going to support, what happens is we together are doing all of these things. So by giving to the church, you are giving to St. Jude. You are giving to Salvation Army. You are giving to Memphis Athletic Ministry. You are giving to the Maria Montessori School. You are giving to support three men who are fully dedicated to gospel ministry and nothing else. You are giving to Kristen Hurtler in Pakistan and Glenn Roseberry in Tanzania. You are giving to Kirk and Michelle in Guatemala and to uh, the... Malinkovics in Serbia and to Pastor Wilson in East Africa. You are giving to this facility and to help pay for the lights and to use this place as a 24-7 place of ministry. You are giving to help the internationals who week after week are absolutely lost and come in to hear about the good news of our Savior Jesus Christ. You are giving to pay for the curriculum that our kids are using to grow up in the Lord and to sponsor workshops that will train our parents to be better parents for the glory of God. You are giving toward all of these things. You are an investor in a mutual fund that happens to be managed by the will, the collective body of this church and the called leadership of this church to maximize gospel furtherance and kingdom investments. Amen? And to me... This is exciting. It's a joyful thing to give through the church because it's about what we can do, not what I can do. And I believe, I genuinely believe, Michelle and I do, that our money is better used collectively through this church than if we were to pick and choose on our own. And I do believe that this is the will of God. It's not to prohibit your giving outside the church, but it's to encourage that your first place of your giving should be here. Because together the possibilities are endless when we're generous according to the will of God. Amen. I wanna reflect on the future. What could it be? We're about to close our service. And as part of our closing, we're going to have a business meeting to vote on the budget for the year ahead. The budget's the biggest budget we've ever had. It's a 20% increase over last year. It's way more than double than just four or five years ago. And that makes me really happy. (laughs) You want to know why? My salary pretty much, it, it hadn't changed a whole lot since I've started being a pastor, so it's not like all the 20% increase is going to us, in fact, 3% this year. Why am I happy about the increased budget? Because it represents an increase in our work here in our church, here in our community, and around the world in the gospel. It represents more getting done, more people being saved, more people being helped, more ministries starting. It represents more in the kingdom of God and those fruits are eternal I love the budget I love growing it I wish it was double what it was but I'm only going to recommend what it is It excites me and we've intentionally not tried to drive you toward a budget number but we have tried to drive you toward what would it look like if you were generous because I guarantee if I told you I just want you to give $1,000 this year, you'd come up with it. But if I just tell you to be generous, see, that's what Jesus tells you. Just be generous. And that's a harder question for you to answer, and that's where we've been wanting you to wrestle. But I do know that if everybody tithed, if we had 100 giving units making the average salary in this community, which is $36,000, our budget would go up immediately a $100,000. A $100,000 difference just as we all gave 10% of what God has given to us as he has asked. What is the $100,000? It represents a huge difference in the kingdom of God. What if that were our budget this year? What if we got that? If all of us, if 25% of us just gave every week rather than just the weeks that we were here, it would make about a $20,000 difference in the budget. Just if you decide to set up a system to give every single week. What does that represent? A lot that can get done. In the kingdom of God. See, we've just been trying to incentivize you by what are the possibilities. At the end of the day, it's up to you. What does it look like to be generous? But here's what I believe. Like an old preacher said one time God's given us everything. The good news here God's given us everything we need for what He's called us to do. The hard news, it's all in your pockets. <laughs> I believe that God's given us all that we need. Amen? But guess what? It's contingent on us responding to the wonderful generosity of God and saying, yes, God. Yes, God. I am rich by your grace. I will give generously, sacrificially, joyfully because I love you, God. And I love others. And I want my life. I want my money to count for what matters the most, bringing people into relationship." Let's be generous, church. Let's do this. I want you to do it. Let's be generous. And let's see what God does when we're generous together for his glory and for the wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me pray. God, we thank you for today and for the wonderful joy it is to know you and to be called to you, Lord. We thank you for your wonderful generosity, your generosity toward us in Jesus Christ. And God, that's our starting point today. Lord, if there's any person in this room at the sound of my voice listening on podcast today, Lord, if there is anyone that does not know you, I pray today by your spirit and grace that you would call them to yourself. I pray, Lord, that you would help them to see your wonderful generosity toward us. Not toward people who are good, but toward people who are poor, people who are sick, people who are broken. People who have nothing to offer but only to beg from you and your mercy. While we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. In our poverty, you make us rich. Lord, all that we need to do is repent from our sin and trust you, Jesus, that you saved by your life, death, and resurrection from the grave, to call on you for salvation and we can have the gift of new life. I pray that there's anyone here today that doesn't know you, that they would call upon your name, and that they would ask for your generosity, and Lord, that they would receive from your hand, the gift of life. For those who do know you today, Lord, I pray that we would say yes to you. Whatever it is that you're calling us to do, whatever step, the next step toward generosity we need to take, that we would just have an open-handed yes. That God, we would confess areas where we've been selfish, where we haven't been living in light of eternity or as a steward. Lord, that we would just say, God, you are all that I need. All I have, all that I need is in you. Lord, free me to be generous with what you've given me. Help me to be obedient with my tithe and help me to be joy-filled in my giving above that, Lord, because I want what I have to be used for you and for others to know you. God, we pray that you would receive glory and thanksgiving from our hearts and from this church. May ICC be a beacon of light in our community and around the world because of a radical group of people who live for you, not for ourselves. We pray this in Jesus' name.